the red and black, this is the front page. It's Monday, June 8th. On today's episode, we're looking back on the past week of protests in Athens. Nationwide protests broke out after a video surfaced of George Floyd's death at the hands of police officers. We'll take you through a retelling of the week's biggest protests, beginning with last week's march on Sunday and ending with this week's protest on Saturday. Sunday, May 31st, was the first day of protests in Athens. An estimated 2,000 people showed up to protest at the downtown courthouse, and afterwards, they marched to the University of Georgia Arch. Recent UGA graduate Juan Angelo protested from 5 p.m. until midnight on Sunday. I asked him to take me through that experience. And a quick note here. When he references Mariah, he's talking about the athens Carr County District 2 Commissioner, Mariah Parker. She helped organize a protest on Sunday. During the day, it definitely felt very organized. I mean, Mariah, as a government official, did not want any kind of escalation of violence on her behalf, obviously. There were a lot of people, it seemed like police were, I'm sure there was lots of police around, but we did not see it. I don't think they wanted us to see that. The only ones we saw were kind of the ones blocking off the roads. Some people brought guns to the event. A far-right group called the Boogaloo Boys showed up with visible weapons. Everyone was pretty good except the Boogaloo Boys. They came in with guns. They caused uh, some, some agitation. It seemed like a pretty poor move to come to that kind of protest with a bunch of guns, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, Mariah spoke to the crowd and then asked us to disperse. And then I went to go get something to eat and go home. Angelo saw that some people were still protesting at the Arch, so he went back there a few hours later, between 9.45 p.m. and 10.15 p.m. And uh, I got there, and the first thing I was told was by a black leader that this was a peaceful protest. If I was there to instigate violence, then I need to go home. And so I decided to stay. I, I did not see a single weapon. So gradually more police start showing up. Uh, in riot gear, uh, especially on North Campus. I was kind of, I was facing towards the arch for a lot of this. There, there were some directly in front of us, right behind the arch, and then others that were obviously trying to like be discreet, spreading out through North Lawn. So the night progressed and we get texts from our friends around, I don't know, 11 or something saying that a 9 p.m. curfew had been instituted, like way after the fact of 9 p.m. I think around that time is when the drone came by. There was no vocal discourse between the police and us. They, they did not attempt to try and talk to us in person. They sent the drone that was flying way too high for us to be able to hear this fuzzy message. We let them know multiple times that we could not understand the drone. And for reference, the drone announced the 9 p.m. curfew around 9.45 p.m. and said, you may be arrested and criminally charged. There is potential that force may be used against you during arrest. I don't know how much time passed before the drone went away and the police on college began advancing towards us. By this time, we, we were already linked arms. And I began to see police put on their gas mask, like especially the ones near walkers on College Station that were moving forward. That's when I, I really began to feel, feel the fear, like, oh man, something could happen, people could get hurt. So I turned to my best friend who was there with me and I told them I was 
that I was scared. The police threw the first tear gas canister at the crowd around midnight. First tear gas canister was thrown with no warning, no disperse now or we will throw tear gas, no, none of that. It was thrown and everyone was shocked immediately. We tried to stand our ground. I think a lot of people retreated back to the sidewalk near the arch. Immediately, a leaf blower guy, he immediately went up with his leaf blower to blow away the gas. I've been in contact with him and he told me he got shot at some point while he was doing all that. And he has like a wound on his stomach. And so they, they, they threw the initial tear gas relatively far away, and I wasn't going to go up that close to the police. I did not want them to think that I was, like, rushing at them or anything. The ones that I did interact with were thrown within 15 feet of protesters. And so I rushed up to... I, I had water bottles. We had water bottles. And so I rushed up to douse it with water with leaf blower guy. Then, Juan said that he was shot by rubber bullets. There is another tear gas canister closer to the Confederate monument that I try to put out. I run back and get more water, and I run up to it, throw all the water I can on it, and I turn around and start to run away, and that's when I got shot twice at the same, it was instantaneously at the same time, once in the calf and once in my upper back thigh. I didn't feel pain at first. I just felt my entire leg and part of my lower back go numb. I was going to like keep dousing water, but I just I just like couldn't move right. And the tear gas was starting to like do its thing. And so I run back to my best friend who was waiting for me on the sidewalk and I say, We gotta go. I didn't want to stay any longer because I didn't want to go to jail with the possibility of like a broken leg. And so we walked down broad towards uh, Magnolia's, I guess the bar. My memory's pretty hazy at this point because I'm super disoriented. I'm like not being able to walk straight. My friend was also coughing from the tear gas. I was dry heaving. I was hyperventilating and we make it back to my car where I was driven to another group of friends' house that were waiting for me with just just to help me, essentially. And I, I spent the night there. The following morning, I woke up and had severe bruising on my thigh, and I couldn't really move my calf without severe pain or my thigh. I couldn't walk. Friends donated crutches for me to use. And for the record, a memo by the athens Clark County Police Department said that there were no rubber bullets used. The ACC Police Department chief said that sponge rounds and beanbags were used on three individuals to prevent them from picking up tear gas canisters and throwing them back at police officers. It's, it's very clear that they tried to avoid, or they, 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 they did avoid saying that rubber bullets were used. If I remember exactly what they said, it was somewhere along the lines of, we chose to use tear gas as opposed to using more damaging levels of force, such as rubber bullets. And they mentioned that they used tear gas because they didn't want to leave lasting injury. I feel like I am the perfect example of lasting injury. I feel like I'm going to be on crutches for at the very least the next week or so. I feel like it takes a lot of drive to 
go to a protest every day in crutches. What drives you to continue supporting this movement? I just feel like I, I have a responsibility, especially as a minority myself. I mean, I, I have been discriminated against. I have experienced racism by the police. I have experienced racism here at UGA, just really throughout my life. And while I can't say that I feel and know the experiences of Black people, I can say that I can empathize with them. With that personal viewpoint, I, I just feel invigorated to be out there supporting them. My sign while I've been at the protest have, has been usually Latinx for Black lives. Yeah, I feel like supporting them is also supporting my younger sisters. I have two younger sisters back home who undoubtedly will experience racism and police racism in their life. So I gain a lot of my inspiration through my own personal experiences and Black friends that I had growing up that were my best friends that I saw every day who were back home in Powder Springs where there's no protests happening. Like I'm, I'm doing it for them and for them personally and for Black people as a whole generally. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Yeah, of course. I also spoke with another protester, Kavi Pandian, who was there when the tear gas canisters were deployed on Sunday. He was tested for COVID-19 after Commissioner Mariah Parker posted that she had tested positive for the novel coronavirus on Facebook. His test came back negative. I was not anywhere near her on Sunday, but just because of the fact that I stayed all day and other people who were at the protest had been near her or even been speakers, I decided that it was better to be safe than sorry, and so I wanted to be tested before returning. But I just went and got a COVID test this morning and tested negative. I asked him what he thought about going to protest despite the risk of exposure to COVID-19. Some might say that going to these large crowded protests are a public health risk. Should other people go and still protest with this in mind? Yeah, um, I think that people who are in the severely high risk groups, they, they should not go. They should stay home. So people over 65, people with autoimmune diseases, respiratory diseases that make them high risk, they should stay home. But otherwise, I think racism and police brutality are an issue of public health as well. And they are one that is ongoing. There's no vaccine for that. And so I think getting on the streets and protesting this is actually hugely important and hits at many of the same issues. I mean, we also know that COVID-19 is disproportionately impacting marginalized black and brown and poor communities, much as police brutality does. And so I think these are actually very interrelated issues. So I think if people can protest and aren't going to be putting anybody else at risk, you know, if you live alone, if you're young, if you're relatively healthy, and if you care about these issues, then I think coming out is really, really important to do. And not everybody, you know, has to be super close. I, I think if that means that you stay farther back and have a sign, that is still contributing to the protest. And that is still very important if you stay further away and you're taking photos or videos to share so that people know what's happening. All of those are ways to contribute to the protest and address what is in its own way also a public health issue. An estimated 1,500 people showed up to this Saturday's protest. The peaceful event was hosted by the Athens Anti-Discrimination Movement, and organizers asked that people wear masks and social distance as best as possible. The event was originally intended to include a march, but it transformed into a rally to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. Mocha Jasmine Johnson is one of the co-founders of the Athens Anti-Discrimination Movement. She talked about the dangers of systemic racism and asked that the protesters remain peaceful.
Speakers included Mocha's daughter, her husband, and other community figures. One speaker, Devin Pandey, had the crowd particularly excited. Our textbooks conspicuously fail to edify our children with the legacy of white supremacy in this nation, casting those who bought and sold human beings like so many trinkets as nation builders. We know who the real nation builders were. They may not receive the praise, the respect, the compensation, or any of the credit, but we know who they were, and this is why we march. This is why we march. The event ended around 4.30, but some protesters moved to the arch until late in the evening. There, I spoke with brother and sister duo, 18-year-old C.J. Wright and 26-year-old Jasmine Mapp. The title of this event was Justice for Black Lives. I asked what these words meant to them. It means that not only does black people need to get treated equally, it means that black people need to not go out and be worried about losing their lives every day, just be having a normal day. It means everything. Like he said, it's a, um, it means that we have to get rid of systemic racism. It's embedded in the society. So until we do that, we can't have equality. So. Um, there are a lot of different things that we could be doing to get rid of the systemic racism. Um, and this is just one of those things, but it's, it's everywhere. It's in our jobs, it's in our schools, it's in our daily, everyday lives. And um, so yeah, it means everything. Just day in the life of us. <laughs> I also asked them what they would like to see from these consistent protests. Um, I don't think that anything has ever changed for the betterment of people in throughout history without protesting. It has to start somewhere. We're able to vote because of protesting. We're able to go to the same schools and have some of the same opportunities because of protesting. Without protesting, no one will have all these everyday opportunities that they, that they pretty much take advantage of. Some people don't even realize that they have. So it has to start somewhere. Somebody has to speak out. Somebody has to ruffle feathers. Somebody has to have uncomfortable conversations. So until people are willing to do that, then there won't be any change of any sort. I also asked how white allies can help in the movement toward racial justice. I think white people can just more so focus on trying to focus on spreading awareness in their own community. Like black people know this is going on because we live it. And um, because of white privilege, white people don't necessarily get to live it, but you can't empathize with us. And um, just be a spokesperson for us throughout everyday life, at work, at school, at church, at, you know, just at the stores. And we're being followed around to speak up for the tables that we are not yet able to sit at because of white supremacy. Um, speak up for us at those tables until we're able to get there. Protesters listened to speakers at the arch throughout the night. They even danced to black artists intermittently. One speaker talked about how finding joy is necessary during times of darkness. So that's what joy does. Joy picks you back up. Joy is a morning feeling when, you, when you've gone through that dark night for a long time. In the United States, we've been going through this dark for a long time. And finally, finally, for the first time in a long time, I think I see the dawn and I think I see the morning star and I think I see the sun coming up from the past. Because joy, joy is coming. Woo! Seeing y'all here, knowing that y'all are with me, this solidarity makes me know that I know joy is coming in the morning. I know it is. I know the night is ending. And although the following protests at the Arch featured guest speakers and citizens holding signs, the crowd also listened to black artists and danced in the streets. 
Listen to these protesters dance and sing along to Cardi B. And that was The Front Page. The Front Page is a production of the Red and Black Publishing Company. This episode was co-produced by Kira Posey and Sherry Liang. The Front Page is sponsored by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership. Thanks for listening, and we hope you tune in next time. <laughs>